Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Statistics around mental health, specifically depression, anxiety, suicide, and stress, were overwhelming before the pandemic, and they've only gotten worse. Before the pandemic, it was estimated that 25% of adults were struggling with depression, and since the pandemic, it's been estimated somewhere between a third and half of all adults in the United States are struggling with some form of issue, whether it be stress or worry or anxiety. Suicide is the number two cause of death in people ages 14 to 34, and it's the fastest growing cause of death for the people over the age of 65. And if you look at students or kids today, in the last 10 years, they have doubled their rate of depression, worry, and anxiety amongst kids. And you look at those statistics, and they can be somewhat overwhelming, and you look at those statistics, and they reveal that we've got a a big problem. It was before COVID, and it's been exacerbated by COVID, and the question is, what do we do, and how do, you, how do you reconcile what is happening with people? And while it would be easy just to say, well, they need to trust God and move on, there's actually a couple different ways to think about this, because this is a broad category. It is an area in which some of us have a ton of experience, and some of us have very little experience. And so it's one of those things that as we consider being overwhelmed, whether it be with stress, anxiety, worry, depression, thoughts of suicide, whatever it might be, as you consider that, there's a guy named David Polis, and he wrote a book, and he said, look, you you can't just blanket statement these things. You gotta understand that there's a variety of factors and reasons of why people are this way. And at the root of it is is we know that we live in a sin-fallen world. But there's four things he brought up and I thought were especially important. And so as we dive into this uh, very difficult topic today, one that probably hits closer to home for most of us than we would like it to be, there's four things I think you gotta consider when you, you ask the question, why are so many people struggling with this? Number one is we are physically embodied, meaning that our bodies, um, some of us are just predisposed to, to struggle with things more than others. Some of us are anxious people. Some of us are, are the type of people who just get anxious in certain circumstances. They could be waiting in line at Taco Bell, and it would cause them a, a, a rough day. And for most of us, that may not be a big issue, but for some people it is. And so there's a physical aspect of mental health that we, we've got to consider. The second part is that we're socially embedded. We're in families, and we're in a culture And we're in a a group of people that, unfortunately, for good and for bad, impact the way that we think about the world and how we think about ourselves. So we're physically embodied. We're socially embedded. Um, The third one is we're spiritually embattled. We're in the middle of a war. There's there's an enemy that's out to destroy us. And he'll use whatever it takes to get our minds off of the Lord. And so not only is there a physical component and there's a social component, but there's a spiritual component. But, But take heart. Um, The last part I love, and he says that we are sovereignly situated, that there is a God who in spite of all of the sin of our world, which would include some of the things that we've been talking about so far, that he is working all things out for your good and for his glory. And so there's, as a Christian, we can take great hope in the fact that God understands and knows that we live in a sin-fallen world in which some of these things creep into our lives and they affect us, and he knows that. 
And he's not aloof and afar and forgotten about you. He knows it and he's, he's trying to work things out and at times he's calling us to trust him more and so that might be a season where you struggle with some of these things. If you find yourself struggling with one of these things that I've mentioned today, you're not alone. Um, sometimes there's everything from just having a bad day to people who are in clinical depression and everywhere in between, and you're not alone. Um, there's a lot of people you'd recognize from the Bible who struggled with this kind of thing. Uh, David, uh, Joshua, Jonah, Job, Elijah, Jeremiah, Moses are just a few of these great biblical heroes who at one time became overwhelmed and struggled with some of the things, whether it be depression or anxiety or struggling with whether they could trust God. And so if you find yourself or you find you're a family member in that situation, please know you're not alone. You're not the first person to go through this. And today I wanna talk to you about one person in particular a prophet by the name of Elijah. If you remember last week, we ended up in the nation of Israel. They couldn't go to the promised land because they'd made some poor choices. And there was a generation of them that moved on before they were able to go to the promised land. They end up in the promised land and they decide that they really need somebody to rule over them. And they want a king, but God won't give them a king. He says, you guys should have a few judges. And they're like, we don't want judges. We want a king. And that time goes for a while. And then they end up with kings. And he said, I told you you wouldn't want a king. And they agreed they didn't like the kings either. They had a few good kings, and the kingdom was united, and then they had a lot of bad kings, and it was divided, and God sends these prophets over and over again to call them to follow the Lord. And one of the most well-known prophets is a guy named, by the name of Elijah. Well, Elijah has a whole host of things going on at his time. He's trying to call people to follow the Lord wholeheartedly, and he ends up in this, um, this kind of match against the prophets of Baal, which is a false god, and, and Jehovah, the real god. And on top of Mount Carmel one day, he summons the Lord, and the Lord provides in a miraculous way. Actually, one of the one of the just incredible times where God provides. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18. You've got to go read it if you're not familiar with it. God shows up in just a miraculous way. But a few days later, Elijah ends up in the depths of despair. And so this prophet of God, this guy who, who loves the Lord, who's following the Lord, struggles and, and decides that he's, he is done. He's ready to cash it in. And that's kind of where we pick up the story today. Elijah um, takes care of the prophets of the Lord. Now, the other thing you have to understand about Elijah is, yes, he was a prophet, but James says in James chapter 5, verse 17, that he was a man just like you and me. He prayed for it to rain, or that it would not rain, and it didn't rain for almost three and a half years. But yet he was a man just like you and me. And so we look at these characters of Scripture, and oftentimes we want to elevate them because they made their way into the pages of Scripture. But you have to remember that outside of Jesus, they're all just human. And they had struggles and they had problems. And so we're going to read in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want to join me, it'll be on the screen behind me or if you want to follow along. So basically what happens is Elijah takes care of all of the false prophets. And Queen Jezebel is not happy about this. And uh, we'll talk more about her in just a moment, but she's not happy. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now Ahab, which is the king at the time, told Jezebel the queen everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, 
He came to a broom bush, sat down underneath it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, and I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush, and he fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into the cave, and he spent the night. Elijah, after this incredible display of God's power and strength on top of Mount Carmel, leaves Mount Carmel and heads down through Jezreel, and eventually Queen Jezebel finds out what has happened. Ahab tells Jezebel that, look, this is what Elijah had done. He, he doesn't notice that it was God that did it, but he said, this is, Elijah did this. And in verses one and two, it says that he did that. In verse two, it says, so Jezebel sent a messenger that basically says, I'm gonna make you just like one of the people that you just took care of, which is dead, right? And we know that Jezebel is both crazy enough and capable enough to do this. If you don't know about Jezebel, you can read in the previous few chapters and the chapters afterwards, this lady is nuts. And she is coming after Elijah. And so it says in verse two that she's gonna do that and the thing that you need to understand is that he had a real problem, right? This wasn't that his bank account was low. This wasn't that he lost his job. Somebody was ready to take his life. And that's not mitigating our problems because, like I said last week, our problems are never a big deal until they're our problems, and then they become a big problem. And so Elijah is afraid for his life, and today you need to understand that we have an enemy whose goal it is is to destroy our trust in God. That is what Satan is out to do every day. When you wake up, his goal is to help destroy your trust in God. He doesn't wake up. He's always up, unfortunately. And so he's always searching for a way to destroy your trust in God. And one of the primary motivations of how he does this is by fear. Elijah, verse 3, it said, feared for his life. He was afraid, and he ran. Now, I would run too. You would run too. But Elijah was afraid, and you have to understand that the things that are happening in your life, that there are parts of it that Satan, everything that he's trying to undo, the goodness of God, everything that he's working against is to help you not trust the Lord. Elijah had trusted the Lord up until this point so many times. He had seen God do some incredible displays. And this time, he starts to question whether he can trust God in spite of seeing him do some incredible things. Fear causes us to not think clearly. And it's interesting, nearly every instance in Elijah's life, God tells him to go do something. So if you go back a couple chapters, verse 16, or chapter 16, verse, chapter 17, you'll see God told him to go to this place, or God told him to go to this place, or God told him to go to this place. This is one of the only times in Scripture we see that Elijah goes and does his own thing. And he ends up on his own way. Maybe you've tried your own way. Maybe you've tried to, to do life in your own power, and you'll find, just like Elijah, two things. It didn't work, and number two, that God can still meet you there. And so for nearly every other instance that we have recorded of Elijah's life, it's God telling Elijah to go somewhere, and this one instance where Elijah just doesn't ask the Lord, he just runs. That's all he did. That's all he could think to do, because fear had captivated him, and fear had started to control him. 
in spite of the fact that God was right with him the day before, God was with him that day, he'd be with him in the days to come, that's all he could see in front of him. And maybe you've tried to go your own way, and the great news is that God can still meet you there as well. In verse four, it says, while he was, why he himself, he left his servant in Beersheba in Judah, and he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, he sat down underneath it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah, for whatever reason, has had enough. He's worked most of his adult life to try and convince an entire nation to turn to God. And over and over again, it seems like it's failed. He makes one huge mistake that we often make as well. And it says that he left his servant in Beersheba and then went a day's further journey into the wilderness. One of the things that is so detrimental is that if you are struggling with worry or anxiety or depression or thoughts of suicide or whatever, one of the worst things you can do is get alone. But that's what Elijah did. Elijah said, hey, servant, for whatever reason, you're gonna stay over here. I'm gonna go on into the wilderness, and he got alone. If you are struggling today, if you are, wherever you're at, if you're struggling and you find yourself wanting to pull back and get alone, that is one of the most dangerous places you can be because you will talk yourself into things that you would never talk yourself into otherwise. And as a, as a general population of the United States, we love to be alone, especially if we're not doing well. Put in some headphones, go to the other room, go outside. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with those things, but just be really careful if that's where you're at. You'll tell yourself things that you never would have told yourself if you were in among other people. And one of the great gifts that God has given us is each other. And Elijah left his servant, got alone, and started thinking things like, maybe we should just call it a day. I think I just wanna die. I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. As Elijah looks at his life, he says, look, I'm no better than my ancestors. These people had tried to call people to God. I'm trying to call people to God, and I'm not doing any better. So therefore, let's just call it a day. And he gets to a really sad, dangerous place when he says, I am overwhelmed or I've had enough. And scholars debate whether Elijah was really suicidal at this point, but it would seem to be that he certainly is not liking living. He's, he's done. And if you find yourself that way today, can I just encourage you, please don't. Um, I was gonna completely change this message about two and a half weeks ago. And in the past three weeks, I've lost two people that I know to suicide. And I just wanna tell you, if that's where you're at, if that's what you're thinking today, let me just beg you, don't. The carnage and the path that you leave behind is unbelievable. And that there's hope for you today. And that you don't have to, to stay where you're at. And as Elijah does this, he says, look, Lord, I've had enough. I just don't want to. And, and the statistics tell me, that there's gotta be people in this room or people watching online that have probably thought of that. And let me just clear up a few things, some misconceptions around this first and foremost. Suicide by nature is sin. It's taking your life into your hands and trying to play God. I, I don't doubt that you hurt. And I don't doubt that you're in pain. But God when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, he, he paid for every sin. There's an erroneous 
Catholic teaching is where it appears to come from that for some reason suicide is an unforgivable sin and we don't see that in the pages of scripture. And so God can forgive you of any and every sin. When, you, when Jesus died on the cross, his atonement covers every sin, past, present, and future. So that's not the issue here. But the issue is, is, is whether we're gonna trust God because we have an enemy whose goal is to, to deal away with the fact that we need to trust the Lord. And what he loves to do, especially it seems like in the experience I've dealt with people who are struggling with suicide, is they think that's the answer. And Satan plants that in your head, that that's going to finally fix your problem, that that's going to make you feel free. And can I just tell you, uh, for the Christian, yeah, you'll be in heaven, but man, there will be a, a, a wreck down here. And so a couple things to think through if that's where you're at today and, and as you work through uh, what might be going on in your own life. Number one is uh, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. Um, Jesus never promised that he would take away all our problems. He just didn't. He said, in this world you'd have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul asked three times for the specific thorn in his flesh to be taken away, and Jesus told him, sorry, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. And so if you recognize today that maybe you're not okay, that's okay. But you cannot, especially for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we cannot stay there. And God will give you the grace through sometimes people, through his word, through the support and love of others. And if you're struggling today thinking that no one likes you, if you're watching at home today and you think, nobody even knows I'm here, can I tell you that care is a two-way street? We can't help you if you don't let us know. We want to help you, but in reality, even if every person in this room went home today and called at least one person, we'd still miss somebody. And so if you're hurting today, you've got to be willing to come out and reach for help, and, and we'll do our best to help you. Number, number two, which goes to this, um, everybody doesn't need to know, but somebody needs to know. If you find yourself struggling with depression or thoughts that, that you realize probably aren't the best, you've got alone and you've started thinking through things, look, you don't need to put it on social media this afternoon, like let everybody know, but somebody needs to know. And maybe that's one of the best things the church can do is to be there to walk alongside you right now. That doesn't necessarily have to be me or Pastor John. That could just be anyone. And then I'm throwing this out in every chance I get, partly because of the circumstances I've seen over the past couple of weeks, but you need to write this number down. If you don't have it, it's the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. It's 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, 1-800-273-8755. You may say, well, that, what's that gonna do? I don't know. But I know that they get a lot of calls and the most popular time they get a call is between the hours of midnight and two in the morning. When you're alone, and you're by yourself, and you start to think of things that maybe you would never do. So Elijah's depressed, he wishes he could die, but God provides for him and he'll provide for you as well. Did you know that one of the most common Hebrew names of God is Jehovah Jireh, which is the Lord will provide. And I wanna share in our time remaining three things that God did for Elijah, and if you're struggling today, I think he'll do for you as well. I think there's three things that God showed up and did in his life right then and there, and that God continues to do those in our lives as well. And so if you're struggling today, let me under, help you understand. We hear you, we recognize that, we grieve with you, but there are a few things that you need to take away, and I hope you'll understand here, because even though we have an enemy whose goal it is to destroy our trust in God, we have a God who's bigger than the enemy, we have a God who's bigger than our problems, and I think he did three things for Elijah that he also will do for you and me. And number one is um, God provides 
by meeting our needs. God provides by meeting our needs. And you're like, well, wait a minute, you don't understand. I've got a big problem and God won't take it away. Well, he didn't necessarily take it away for Elijah either. He never promised to take away all of our problems. He promised to take care of our needs. When Jesus is talking to the disciples in Matthew chapter six, he says, look, food, um, shelter, drink, you don't need to worry about those things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. There are things that he will allow into your life because remember, you are sovereignly situated exactly where God wants you to be. You may be sitting there saying today, well, I don't really like where God wants me to be. Yeah, I know. I know. But I would trust that if he's able to handle this entire world and he's working all things together for our good and for his glory, that even the bad times that he has us in, and maybe I couldn't say that in the middle of it, I can see it coming out of it, and I can see it looking back. And so God provides by meeting our needs. Take a look at verse 5 of 1 Kings chapter 19. It says in verse 5, he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. God knew what he needed, when he needed it, and in particular, he needed food and he needed rest. Now you may say, I have never had an angel come to me and tell me to take a nap and get some food, and that's true. I've not had that. Don't think anybody I know of in here has had that either, but God provided for exactly what Elijah needed. He'll provide for what you need as well. Elijah wasn't thinking clearly. He got alone. He had no rest. He'd been running nonstop, and which pretty much describes our culture. No rest, nonstop. And God said, you know what you need? You need to take a nap, and you need to eat something. I have a personal rule. Um, I'm a person who's known as hangry. I don't make decisions in between 11 o'clock in the morning and noon. I'm here, present in the building, but the ladies in the office will tell you, or my family will tell you, it's just not a joy to be around from 11 to noon. Come back at one, I'll be fine. You can ask me anything you want, but don't ask me between those hours because I'm hungry. I'm not thinking clearly. My blood sugar starts to drop and suddenly it's a problem. And Elijah got alone, he's wore out and he's thinking things that he never would. We never have recorded of anything else in scripture with Elijah that he ever got anywhere near this situation until right now. And it was after God did something incredible in his life. And he's like, I don't know, because we have an enemy whose goal it is to destroy our trust in God. And he uses some crafty, crafty ways. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's simple as this. The great news is God knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows exactly what you need. He goes on to say in verses 8 and 9, he says, So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. So he has power from the Lord. He's been taking care of his needs and he goes up and he ends up in Oreb, which is a part of the Sinai mountain range, which is where God met with Moses. And God's gonna meet with Elijah there as well. And when he meets with them, he ends up in the cave and God confronts him with this question two different times. Elijah, why are you here? Or what are you doing here? And it's not that God forgot where he was. The question is, why are you here in regards to why are you in this situation where you're struggling to trust me? 
And Elijah's response both times, is, we'll look at it here in just a moment, he, both times he says, well, I've been doing all your work. I've been trying to do all these things. And he says, no, why are you here? Why are you to the place where you're not trusting me and you're not looking to me? The second thing that God does, first he provides by meeting our needs. The second thing he does both for Elijah and he'll do for you today is he provides by giving us his presence. In verse 11 of chapter 19, it says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in a fire either. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled open his cloak and put it over his faith and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him again, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah had seen God's incredible power, but this time God comes in a whisper. And sometimes God will do great and huge things in our lives and we can probably speak of the times and then sometimes he's just a whisper. Sometimes it's just a reminder of something that he said to you or a reminder of the way that he's provided for you, but his presence was with Elijah. And Elijah met with God in that cave that night. The great news is if you're a Christian today, that God provides his presence through the Holy Spirit that indwells you. We know that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that there's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, Ephesians says, until the redemption of everything or the conclusion of everything. And that Holy Spirit is literally God's presence inside of you. Let me just remind you of a few things that the Holy Spirit does. He leads us, he guides us, he convicts us, he teaches us, he empowers us, he gifts us, and he even prays for you when you don't even know what to pray for. I don't know if you've felt overwhelmed before, but usually when I'm overwhelmed, I don't, I mean, I know I need to pray, but it's really hard to pray. And the Holy Spirit does that, but the unfortunate part is we can also quench the Holy Spirit and we can resist the Holy Spirit and he's wanting to be present in our lives. He's wanting to remind us of truth. He's wanting to show up in tangible ways, but sometimes we're not willing to let him do so. Elijah meets with God that day. He sees his presence in a gentle whisper and we have the Holy Spirit who's reaching out for you and for me today. He's wanting to guide you. He's wanting to lead you. He's wanting to be present in your life. He wants to, to interact with you in a real and tangible way to convict you of sin and to lead you into righteousness. He's wanting to deal with the things that you're trying to deal with on your own. And just as God's presence was with Elijah, albeit somewhat different today, his presence is with you and me. And so he meets our immediate needs, which he's so thankfully done. We, we have very few needs in our country. He meets us by his presence and in verse 15, it goes on to say that the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi over Israel. Anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from that guy to succeed as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And you sit here and go, that's a lot of names. And I'm not sure what he's doing. Let me just simplify it real easy. God's plan is working out. God is providing for Elijah in a way that he would have never expected. God says, I want you to go anoint this guy over here and go do this over here and go do this over here. And what God is doing, because we are sovereignly situated, is God is putting the pieces together to solve the problem that Elijah is so concerned about. So God meets our needs, 
God provides by his presence, and God makes this all work out. He goes, basically, he sets this plan in motion to, to reestablish the covenant with the people, to deal with the false prophets of the country that Elijah is so concerned about and trying to spend all of his effort to deal with. And he does it through a couple other people. And then the last thing that God does for both Elijah and he does it for you and me is he provides by reminding us of the truth. Take a look at verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He reminded Elijah of the truth that he wasn't alone. And Elijah couldn't see it that day. He felt like he was the only one who was struggling. He felt like he was the only one that was fighting for the Lord. He felt like he was the only one that was showing up. And remember, if we have an enemy who's out to destroy our trust in God, what's one of the ways he's gonna do it? He's gonna do it by fear. He's gonna do it by questioning whether we can trust God. But then he's also gonna do it by making us think that we're the only people who could ever know what this is like. And one of the things I've heard people say for, for the past several years is, is you don't understand because no one understands what I'm going through. And, and can I just tell you that Elijah probably does? And there's a lot of other people that probably do, but you just can't see it now. Because I think there's an enemy who wants to help you under, think that you can't trust God. And so Elijah thinks he's all alone, and God says, no, actually, there's 7,000 other people. They've not bailed down to Baal. They're not trusting in him. They're trying to follow me just like you are. And he couldn't see the truth, but he reminded Elijah that he wasn't alone. If you find yourself overwhelmed today, between the statistics I read at the beginning, between the truth that we find about Elijah, between that and if you were to go through and ask every person in this room today, you'd find out you're not alone. But more importantly than that, you have a heavenly father who's willing and able to provide for your needs. He wants to not only provide for your needs, he wants to remind you of the truth and he wants to be present in your life. And so God provides in those three ways in Elijah's life and he wants to do the same for you and me as well. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's these crazy seeds coming from China right now in your mailbox? In a normal year, I wouldn't be concerned, but it's 2020. Um, don't plant those, okay? If you, because we don't know what's gonna come out of it, right? You just don't know. Like, you plant those seeds, who knows? This year, it might be the start of some crazy movie where the plants all take over, and, like, you just don't know. So don't plant those, because you don't know what's gonna come out of it. But I can promise you, if you plant the truth of God's word in your life, and you cling tightly to the God of that word, hope will spring out of that. That's what grows every time. You plant that in your life, you're gonna get hope. You plant the seeds from China, I don't know what you're gonna get. Don't do it, it's not worth it. We don't know what we're gonna get. You plant the seeds of truth in your life. So here's a couple that I was reminded of as I was studying for this. Romans 8, 38 through 39. I'm convinced that life nor death, nor angels or demons, nor I got like three versions going in my head right now. Uh, principalities, like nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. David, when he was overwhelmed, David, you know, David and Goliath, that guy, David, king of Israel, that guy, David, man after God's own heart, that guy, says in Psalm chapter 40, I felt like I was in a, a slimy, miry pit, and you picked me up, and you set me upon a rock, and because of that, I trust in you. I proclaim your truth to all nations. You plant that kind of thing in your life, you're reminded of that kind of truth, 
your problem will not disappear. I'm sorry. But you will be reminded that you can trust the Lord. You'll be reminded that the Lord is good, that you're not alone, that he will meet your needs. He will give you his presence. And he will remind you of that truth. And that only comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, that's, that's the first thing you gotta fix. If you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you gotta understand that his Holy Spirit is indwelling you and you just gotta be willing to listen. Listen to him and tell everybody else no. And so today, if you find yourself like that, I would encourage you. I've got other verses I can send out later, but there's a ton of truth that if you plan it, hope will grow. And you'll start to see that, yes, you're overwhelmed, but there's a God who's bigger than your problems. If you would, join me in prayer. God, thank you so much for today and the opportunity to look into the truth that you love us. God, I thank you for Elijah and his life. And God, even though he got to the point where he just wanted to call it a day, you patiently and lovingly dealt with him. You dealt with the problem eventually, not in his timing, but in a way that fit with yours. And so, God, I pray for every person who's in here today that whatever they're facing, that they would see that you're working all things together for our good and for your glory. That, God, that we can trust you, that even though we have an enemy whose goal is to destroy our trust in God, that even though we have a world that makes little to no sense, that, God, that we can trust you today. And so, God, we proclaim and we, we say today that we, we wanna trust you. We do trust you. Just like that guy in Mark chapter nine, God, we do believe, but we also recognize that we have moments of unbelief. And so God, we ask you to help us with that today. God, that you would help us to trust you in the midst of whatever we're going through. God, if we're doing okay today and not really struggling, help us to remember from Elijah's life too that it only took a few moments of his eyes off of you and doing things his own way for him to be questioning nearly everything he ever knew. And so God, help us to stay close to you Help us to listen to your spirit today and that you remind us often of the truth of who you are and the truth of who we are in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.